So the first of our movies that we're going to draw some inspiration from is the BFG. The BFG film came out on Friday. I went to see it yesterday uh, with our family, uh, with Simeon, our youngest, who's got special needs. He loves kids' films. It is an amazing, amazing film. When you put the collaboration together of Roald Dahl, who wrote the story originally, of Steven Spielberg, the director, and of Disney, the producer, it's pretty good collaboration of creativity and imagination, to be honest. How many of you ever read the story, the BFG, as a kid? Or, okay, yeah, okay, so you know the story. So the strap line for the film is the world is more giant than you imagine. So the story centers around this orphan girl called Sophie. And uh, she's taken by this big, friendly giant because she sees him and recognizes him, okay? And she's taken to this land of giants. And there are nine specific giants. And if I just give you the names, if you remember when you were a kid, if you saw it, this tells you a little bit about, about the kind of nature of these giants anyway. So there's the flesh lump eater, the meat dripper, the child chewer, family film this, the blood bottler, the maid masher, the bone cruncher, the man hugger, the butchered boy, and the gizzard gulper. But unlike those nine giants, the BFG is not like that because he's a big friendly giant. And so this big friendly giant goes on this kind of relationship here with this girl and the queen is involved and corgis are involved and there's lots of other fun stuff. But you see, the thing is, as, as I was thinking about giants and I was thinking about the big friendly giant, I did what, what all good theological researchers do. I googled and, uh, <laughs> and went on to one of those what giant would I be tests. Anyone done any of those kind of test things? And so I went into this test where you answer loads of questions and it tells you what kind of giant you'll be. And this is seriously, I did it very quickly, didn't think about it, did it instinctively. And this is what I would be. I would be the frost giant. And here's the, uh, here's the definition. A monstrous being that started out as an icicle that became aggressive that enjoys creating havoc. <laughs> there you go. That's me. And then it says, and this is where it breaks down, they usually take to being warriors or hunters and live in mountainous areas. To be honest, anyone that wears a shirt like this doesn't live in mountainous areas or is a warrior or a hunter. But here's, the, here's what we want to talk about tonight, or today, this morning even. In life, we all face giants. We all face giants every single day of our life. No matter whether you're a Christian or a not, no matter whether you're young or you're not so young, no matter whether you've had a big birthday or not, you all, we all face giants. And how we deal with our giants is crucial to how we live our lives. We can do one of three things. We can run away in fear from our giants. And what happens then is the giant doesn't move. And every time we step forward and we want to grow forward in our life, we face the same giant because we don't deal with it. We just run away in fear. Or the second thing, and this is where God really spoke to me through this whole BFG. What we can do is we can accommodate our giant. We can almost say, well, I can't defeat you. I don't want to run away in fear from you. So I'll accommodate you and I'll make you my big friendly giant. And we learn to work with the giant. And that restricts us and contains us from the life that God has for us. And we make the giant our big friendly giant. Or the third thing we can do, and I think this is the thing that we should do. We can take that giant down. We can deal with that giant in such a way that it does not restrict us and doesn't inhibit us. We don't accommodate it. We don't run away in fear from it. We deal with it and then we move forward in our lives. You see, there will always be giants at your gates. You see, gates represent transitions in life. And when we're moving through a transition, it's like going through a gate and there will always be a giant at your gates. And I'm going to invite the band to come up this morning. You know, before we look at our giants and before we look at dealing with our giants, we are going to sing and worship our gigantic God. 
I don't know about you, but while I've been away on holiday the last couple of weeks, and you know when you're away on holiday, sometimes you, you disconnect and you unplug, and that's right. But, but, but I keep up on the news, and it's been horrific, hasn't it, what's been happening in our world over the last few weeks. Just mind-blowing. And it's very easy for us to look at that, and we see the giants in our world right now of hatred and violence and extreme, extremism and, and just division. And it's very easy when you look at those giants to think you know, that those giants are so big and we're all so small, and we can lose perspective that our God is bigger than any giant. The uh, classic uh, story uh, to look at when you're talking about giants is an obvious one, uh, the David and Goliath confrontation. Uh, but whether you were brought up in church or not, you've probably heard of the David and Goliath story, or you will have heard uh, David and Goliath mentioned as in, you know, the underdog, uh, the unfancied one, the smaller one that defeats the bigger one, the fancied one, the expected one, all that kind of stuff. The David and Goliath story, you see it in sports. You often see, you know, like a football team, there's, there's the David and Goliath story out the non-league team beats the premiership team, unless it's my team and everybody beats my team. And Iceland, exactly. Iceland, yeah. And Wales, underdogs. <laughs> but you know, the thing is with the familiar stories, I think sometimes with the familiar stories, we can miss what God really wants us to hear and to respond to. And I want to look at this story this morning. We need a, a little bit of background work before we do that. You see, David uh, was uh, an Israelite. He was the youngest son of Jesse. Uh, and and uh, His older brothers, three of them anyway, were, were in the army of Israel and they were off fighting the Philistines. And so if you can imagine that there's a, there's a valley, the Valley of Jezreel. So imagine this kind of runway thing here, this movie start, start, um, kind of thing that we've got going down the aisle here. If you imagine on the one side, you've got the big ugly guys, the Philistines. Got to be this side looking at it this morning. I'm joking, I'm joking. You've got the Philistines and you've got the Israelites. And three of those Israelites were brothers of David. But, but what happened, you see, is that what happens in, in ancient warfare is that when they couldn't kind of work it out, one of the ways they'd work it out is rather than everyone fight and kill each other, they'd pick a champion from one to take on the champion from the other. The champion from this side, okay, from the Philistines, was Goliath. And Goliath, the Bible says, was over nine feet tall. His armor weighed 125 pounds. He's a big, mean, ferocious-looking giant. And the champion on this side should have been Saul, the king. Because the Bible says that King Saul was head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. So he's a big guy as well. But he's in fear like everybody else. And in the army are three of David's brothers. And what happens is that on this one day, David pitches up literally with the packed lunch for his brothers. And he walks into this scene of this confrontation between the armies of God and the enemy armies, between this giant called Goliath and these fearful people called the Israelites. And he steps in the middle of that and he changes history. He changes history. He changes history by not running away from the giant, by not accommodating the giant and making the giant his BFG, his big friendly giant. But he changes history by taking the giant down. And when he takes the giant down, not only is that a gateway to a new life for him, but it's also a gateway to a new life for a whole nation. What he does on that day not only changes his history, but it changes the history of a whole nation. And when you and I take down our giants, it's more than just about you and me and the giant. It's often about other people and we don't even understand that. When you take down a giant, you do something not only on behalf of yourself or on behalf of God, but also something that will impact many, many others. Now that was a literal story. We're not talking about literally fighting 
people, okay? We're talking about something else. Giants represent something in our life. You see, we face giants of different kinds. Giants are problems. They're pains. They're pressures. They're persecutions. How many have got some of those? We've all got them, haven't we? Giants are things that restrict or contain us. They keep us locked up when God intends us to fly. Giants are things that distract us from God, that detour us from God, that drain us. Giants are always at the gates because the gate represents an, op- an opportunity to move into a new experience of life. And whenever you go through a gate, there's always a giant at the gate. And whenever you transition, you see, you and I are always in transition. You know that, don't you? Whether you like it or not, you're always in change and transition. Whether you voted for it or not, you're always in change and transition. And when you go through change and transition, you change and transition through a gate and there will always be a giant at the gate. And if you don't want to face any giants, don't grow. Don't move. Don't do anything. Stay perfectly still. And that won't guarantee you won't face giants anyway. But if you want to move forward in your life, if you want to move forward in your Christian experience, for those of you that are Christians this morning, you've got to go through some gates and there will always be giants at the gates. And um, I thought about a story that, that for many, many years ago, and I just passed my test, maybe a two or three years. And, and, and I was in the car with a friend of mine. I won't embarrass him because he was leading worship this morning. And so that would be embarrassing to do that. But we were in the car and, uh, and we were trying to get to somewhere to do a gig somewhere or to, to do something, uh, an event, not a gig. An event, it was a gig. Uh, and uh, and uh, he, he was reading the A to Z. Anyone remember the A to Z? Come on, bring it back. Flipping sat navs, they do your head in, don't they? And he was reading the A to Z, and we didn't know where we were going. And he said, uh, at this junction, turn left. And I turned left, and that was the correct road to go in, but it was a one-way road, and we were going down it the wrong way, as you do. Uh, and, and I was confidently driving down it. And as I came around the corner, this other car came in the direction, and a head-on collision ensued. Uh, and uh, my car, which, which was a brand new car uh, that I'd bought, um, was, was completely collapsed. The front completely collapsed. And I got out of the car. And because I was 20, 21, 20, 21 year olds know everything, don't they? Hey, they really do. I did when I was 20 and 21. And I got out of the car and, and just screamed at this guy, what are you doing? This is a one-way street. To which he opened the door slowly and out got this giant of a man, okay? Nine feet tall he was, seriously. His armor weighed, I don't know, it was too much. Uh, and bearded guy, and he growled at me, it is a one-way street and you're going down the wrong way. To which I had the wisdom to say, okay, and backed off, all right? Uh, and the funny thing was, then when I went and phoned my dad, because that's what we had to do in those days, uh, and we didn't have mobile phones, had to go use a phone box with a phone, red phone box. Come on, this is nostalgia time this morning. And phoned my dad. And as I walked back with Lee, okay, I won't embarrass. As we walked back, there's a whole bunch of kids who were looking at my car, realised what had happened, and are laughing and saying, what an idiot. Who would be an idiot to do that? We walked past, this is true. And we both looked at the car and said, what idiot would do that? And carried on walking, you see. Just to join in with it a little bit. But this giant that I faced, this man, this situation, was of my own doing. I went down the wrong way street the wrong way. And sometimes you'll go down a one way street in your life and you'll go the wrong way and you'll face a giant. But sometimes you're going the right way and the right direction, you'll still face a giant. And what you do when you face a giant will determine how far you get in your life. And I thought about the names of our giants because the BFG has nine names that I gave you earlier on. So I thought about what are nine uh, kind of common giants that you and I face. This is not an exhaustive list, okay? You can think of others. I think there's the giant of fear and intimidation. And that can come through situations. It can come through health. 
Your doctor gives you some bad news. You know, your marriage is under pressure. Your finances are under pressure. Your family's under pressure. And all of a sudden, the giant of fear and intimidation is bearing down on you. The Goliath of fear. Then there's the giant of the past. Guilt and shame and regret. Things you wish you hadn't done. Things you wish you'd done differently. Things you wished hadn't been done to you. Then there are the giants of addiction. And if any of you this morning have ever fought or are fighting the giant of addiction, you know how big and how scary and how intimidating that giant can be, don't you? Then there's the giant of bitterness and unforgiveness. I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken to, even, even recently actually um, on planes and in di- different situations who don't know God, who talk to me and we've ended up talking about their life and they've ended up talking often about their family. And in fact, two or three occasions that this has happened recently, they've ended up talking about bitterness and unforgiveness. Massive giants. Then there's the giant of discontentment. This is, a, this is a more of a modern giant. See, we live in a generation of entitlement. And because we feel entitled to certain things, then when we don't get what we think we should get, then actually we get, dis, we get, we get we're discontented. Uh, and we get disappointed and we get disillusioned. And then there's the giant of mental health, including anxiety and depression. And can I just say, if you are facing or have faced this giant, you also know how big and scary this one is. And can I just make a little statement here? On Sunday, I got back from being on holiday and Monday came into the office and uh, I didn't realize that something had happened in our community. And I had a phone call from a local funeral director to say that a 16-year-old girl in one of our local high schools had died in very, very tragic Very tragic circumstances. Long story short, Tuesday the funeral is here in this building. And it's an unusual funeral in many senses because partly because um, uh, they don't want anything religious. And so there's a humanist friend of theirs who's doing the ceremony. But they wanted a venue where they could get a lot of people in. And I just felt right to say, hey, we will do whatever you want us to do. And actually, I've met the family, I've met the mom and i met the dad. And he phoned me up the day after I met him just to say they were overwhelmed by the warmth and love that they received from us when they came. So please pray on Tuesday. Because if ever you, you, the other side of mental health or anxiety or depression, and when it goes horribly bad like this has, uh, then you'll know just how tragic that is. So that's an opportunity. Even though we can't say anything about God or the hope that we have, for maybe some of the hope that we do have just to leak out. On Tuesday, that's our prayer. So please pray for us on Tuesday. I think one of the other giants is a giant of lack of self-awareness. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times that, that, that I think I, I look in situations in my own life and in others and think, you're experiencing all that grief because you've got a giant of a lack of self-awareness. And if only you could tackle that one, your life would run out and turn out very, very differently. The giant of insecurity, always trying to prove yourself. And then the giant of a character flaw. You know, the Apostle Paul said that he had a thorn in his flesh and, and he prayed for God to take it away and God never did. And nobody knows what that thorn was, but I believe it was a character weakness because Paul was so brilliant in every other way of his life that if he didn't have some character weakness, he wouldn't have almost needed God because he was so amazingly gifted. But God allowed that character flaw to stay in his life and he had to keep battling, he had to keep tackling that giant So whatever the giant is in your life, and maybe there's something else, how do we deal with our giants? And just again, a little bit more background. Goliath's family had been troubling Israel for many, many years. If you go way back to when Moses is is, is coming out of Egypt, remember that? And they're about to uh, go through and they're about to enter the promised land. He sends some spies in and it says in Numbers 13, all the people we saw there are of great size. In other words, they're giants. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we look the same to them. 
Don't know how he knew that. I think that's how your mind plays tricks on you. We look small and that we look small to them. Actually, later on, uh, it says of the enemies that when they saw Israel, they were in fear and trembling. But in the Israelites' minds, they said, when they look at us, they just see grasshoppers and they're huge. That's what your mind does to you. But anyway, there were all these giants there. So 40 years later, because they don't go in, 40 years later, Joshua enters the promised land and he drives out all the enemies from every city apart from three, apart from Gath, Gaza and Ashdod. And in Gath, that's where they bred giants. That's where Goliath was born. So on this day of battle, okay, here's the Valley of Jezreel, Philistines and Israelites. I can imagine Saul, when he sees Goliath step out, saying, not him again. Like my dad fought your dad. And my granddad fought your granddad. And my great-granddad fought your great-granddad. Because these giants have been troubling us for years and years and generations. And isn't it interesting how many of us fight giants that our families have been fighting before us? There is something about giants that can have a generational recurrence. And unless we become giant killers, guess what will happen? Our kids will fight the same giants that we fight. So there is more at stake when we come to giants than just us and the giant. Maybe there's even generations at stake. Maybe it needs some of us to say, do you know what? There's divorce in our family. There's, there's, there's alcoholism in our family. There's relational breakdown in our family. There's bitterness in our family. But do you know what? It stops here because we're going to take this giant down. We're going to create a different story and a different future for our kids and for our kids' kids. We're not going to keep fighting the same old giants. But if you're going to be someone like that, you've got to become a giant killer. And so I want to give you some general principles uh, around facing giants and then we'll get into what I want to say. It's a big introduction. Firstly, every giant introduces me to myself. Bible says in verse 11 in the message, when Saul and his troops heard the Philistine, they were terrified and lost all hope. When we face giants, we see what's really in us. Our fears, our insecurities. But you know, secondly, people who reach giant positions have always defeated giants along the way. You will not get to a giant position in life unless you've learned how to take down some giants. Thirdly, giants are often tools that God uses to shape us for bigger opportunities. You see, David turns up that day with his packed lunch just to give some sandwiches to his brothers. And he steps into destiny and into history. And what God does is through that interaction with the giant... Through that thing, God leads him to a greater thing. And I want to say something to you. Don't miss the thing that leads to the thing. What are you talking about? You see, what you think is that that giant thing that's gone on in your life is the thing. But actually, that's not the thing. The thing is what God has for you, the other side of it. But if you let the thing miss the thing, then you're going to miss out the thing. And you don't want to miss out on the thing, do you? You don't want to miss out on the thing that God has for you. So don't let the thing, the giant, miss you out. Or leave you out of the real thing. How many of you want the thing that God has for you? How many of you haven't got a clue what Leon's talking about right now? Okay. But we know there's a lot of things. Okay. Because this is what we do. And folks, listen, this is so important. You see, we jump. We want to jump over the process to get to the promise. But we don't understand that the process is the preparation that leads us to the promise. That is good. Thank you. That is good. I hope you got it. We want to jump over the process to get to the promise. We don't understand that the preparation is the process. That's the thing that leads us to the thing. So when you take down a giant, that's not the real thing. The real thing is what God has for you the other side. But you don't get through the gate unless you take down the giant that is at the gate.
So dealing with our giants, how do we do it? And here's the fourth principle, general principle. Dealing with our giants may not mean actual removal of the giant, but it will mean the removal of the effect. You know, if you're single today and your giant is singleness or a sense of you lonely or, or whatever that is, that's a real thing. Not minimizing that in any way. I cannot say to you that dealing with the giant of that means that you'll get married. But maybe in God's grace and strength, dealing with it might mean that the effect of it could be taken down. That that sense that you'll never be complete, that that sense that, you, that God has deserted you, that sense that you'll never be who God wants you to be, maybe that's the effect that God wants to take away. Maybe you will be married, maybe you won't. I don't know. But the giant isn't necessarily the actual thing. It's the effect that the thing has on you. So what I want to do this morning, very quickly, is to give you nine characteristics of giant killers. How many of you are giant killers this morning? Okay, both of you. Great. After these nine characteristics, you'll all be signing up, okay, to be giant killers. Okay, number one, giant killers do not begin that way. So if you think, oh, I'm not a giant killer, okay, well, you don't begin that way. David didn't begin that way. He was a young boy. He was a poet. He was a shepherd. You know, he was a delivery boy with packed lunches. But David was faithful in every one of the tasks that God gave him. The army was unfaithful in the only one task they had. And here's the lesson. The menial thing can lead to the mighty thing. Do not despise the day of small things, the Bible says. And when you are faithful in small things, that leads to bigger things. So you don't begin as a giant killer by being a giant killer. You begin by being faithful in the small things. Secondly, giant killers understand what's really at stake. In, in, in chapter 17, verse 20, early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd. He loaded up and set out. As Jesse, that's his father, had directed, he reached the camp as the army was shouting out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and he asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And then these really important words, and David heard it. And I think that's really important. When I read this years and years ago, as I was preparing years ago for a message on it, it was like those, those words just jumped out. David heard it. So everybody heard it. Yeah, no, but David heard it. So you can hear it and you can hear it. Oh, you're getting back to the thing and the thing again now, aren't you? You can hear it and you can really. And what David heard was not just a, 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 a giant shout in his mouth. What David heard was somebody ridiculing and insulting God. What David heard was not just opposition, but an opportunity. An opportunity to do something great, not just for himself and his nation, but for the sake and the glory in the name of God. David heard it. David knew what was at stake. When you and I hear, really hear what's at stake with our giants, we'll take them on. Because when you understand that if you could take that giant of addiction down, not only is that going to change the trajectory of your life, it's going to change the trajectory of many other lives that follow you. And it's going to inspire others who are also will look at you and say, do you know what? Maybe I could do it because they did it. And do you know what? It's going to bring honour and glory to the name of God. Because we say we belong to God, don't we? And we sing these great songs about how God has set us free and given us keys. And we're now free and we're this. And yet we know that we're often not. Yeah, we are. But we've got all these other things. And if we could just take those giants down then who knows what that would do to the honour and the glory of God. 
And when David pitches up, you know, all the army are all in fear, but he's not focused on the giant, he's focused on his God. The army saw Goliath, but David saw God. The army saw the problem, but David saw the potential. The army saw opposition, but David saw an opportunity. So here's the lesson. Listen and respond to the real threat. Listen and respond to it, because the thing is not the thing. The thing is the thing that's going to get you to the real thing. So we've got to understand what's the real threat. Number three, giant killers learn to handle criticism. How many of you have ever been criticized at any point in your life? If you haven't, then you're not alive, okay? If you want to know how to avoid criticism, I can tell you how to avoid criticism for the rest of your life. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing, and you will avoid criticism. But I want to suggest that most of us, in fact, all of us don't want to live like that, do we? We want to do something with our one and only life. We want to say something. We want to be something. So we will attract criticism. David had to learn. He had the criticism of his brother, Elihad, that said, what are you doing here? You know, and that can intimidate you emotionally when it's people close to you. Then he had the criticism of King Saul when he went to the king and he said, I'll do it. I'll fight the man. And Saul said, who are you? There's a position of power and authority that can be intimidating. And then when he finally did go to Goliath, then he has this giant intimidating him and criticizing him. So he had to deal with criticism. And here's the lesson. Everyone who's never killed a giant will tell you how it's to be done. Or I'll tell you it can't be done. Everyone who's never done it will tell you it can't be done. Don't listen to people who've never done it tell you it can't be done. Listen to someone who's done it because they know it can be done. And that's a lesson there right there. Number four, giant killers are not overwhelmed by the challenge. Verse 32, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of the Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. David sees the giant. He knows how big the giant is, but he's not overwhelmed because he knows how big his God is. Many of you have heard this story. I've told it many, many times. When Simeon, our youngest, was very small, he loves animals. And he was in a farm one day and he sees this horse in a distance and and he loves horses and he doesn't want to go see the horse. So we go and see the horse. But as we're getting nearer the horse, the horse wasn't just a horse. It was a shire horse and the horse is huge. And as he gets up to it and he realizes how big this thing is, okay, he turns around and he does the arms up uh, sign you remember if you've got little kids I mean he's 22 and 14 stone now so this is not working now so he puts his arms up and I lift him on my shoulders the moment he was on my shoulders his fears goes why because the horse changed no as his size changed no the only difference now is he's on the shoulders of his daddy and the whole perspective is different what I didn't tell Simeon was I was also really frightened of the flipping horse as well but that ruins the illustration okay so I won't say that bit <laughs> But the perspective changes when we, are, when we realize that, yes, the giant is big. Yes, the giant appears bigger than us. But our God is even bigger. And if we're seated with Christ in heavenly places, that means we look down on the giant, not up to it. Because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are not overwhelmed by the challenge. So the lesson is don't tell God how big your giants are. Tell your giants how big your God is. Number five, giant killers build on past successes. David goes on then to talk about fighting the lion and the bear. He goes up to Saul and says, hey, I fought a lion. I fought a bear. No one saw that. I can take on the giant. Here is the lesson. Our biggest battles will always be the private ones. Before we'll ever kill a giant publicly, we'll have had to have taken down some lions and some bears privately. And the battles we face in our mind and in our heart are always the biggest battles we face. And I want to be really honest and vulnerable with you this morning. You know, I've had and do have many, many giants and battles. And often it's the private ones, which I think are the most difficult ones as well. Not necessarily the public ones. And I obviously think about a situation with Simeon and 
his disability and him going into care and all of that. In fact, on a week last Wednesday, we were about to fly out for the kind of holiday of a lifetime, really, to celebrate my 50th or commiserate, whichever the word is, celebrate. Uh, and, and on the Tuesday, got a phone call to say that Simon had a really big meltdown again. And there was a situation in the home there which was getting oh, very complicated and very difficult. And it, just like it had come out the blue, you know, as these things do. And it's the day before we're going to go. So we're like, do we go? Don't we go? What do we do? And God was very gracious and we went and he's had a, had a great couple of weeks. But just at that moment, the giant comes up again and you see it, don't you? And you have to face and fight those battles in your mind and in your heart. And I think as a leader of this church as well, which I love, looking back over the last 10 years, the building development has had its fair share of giants as well. And it's not always been the public battles that you're all aware of, which have been my biggest challenges. It's been the ones that have been in here and in here that maybe nobody has seen or heard. And, and yeah, there's raising money and economic downturn. That's another giant. And then another giant like fire comes along. And then an insurance company comes along. And that's the ugliest. No, 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 no. They, they, they love it. We love them. No, we don't. Uh, yeah, all these kind of giants that come up. And often we're aware of the public dynamic, but we're not aware that often there's a private battle as well. None of your battles are wasted, though. You know that, don't you? Like none of the tears you've ever shed or the struggles you've ever faced are ever wasted. Somebody said this to me years ago when I was a really young guy, an elderly guy from South Africa. Used to work with when I used to work in CFAN, and he said this to me God never wastes any of your time. I've never forgotten that. And so I want you to know, guys, that all of the lions and the bears that you've wrestled with in your life are preparing you for something else. And I can imagine David coming up to the Goliath, and just as he takes on Goliath, thanking God and saying, Hey, I'm really grateful for the lion and the bear. Like I wasn't at the time. Do you know what I mean? When I was out with a sheep and I had to, had to fight this lion and fight this bear. But I'm really grateful now, Mr. Lion, Mrs. Bear, thank you so much. Because if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have the strength to fight this Goliath. And so I think God wants you to know, some of you this morning, that God never wastes any of your time. Your tears, your struggles, your battles, your challenges are because God is doing something with you. And uh, We don't need to get bitter because all things do work together for good anyway, eventually. We don't need to get bitter. We can just be grateful that we're here and that we can move forward with God. Our biggest battles are our private ones. Number six, giant killers know who they are. In verse 38, Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a helmet on his head. But he looks ridiculous. And he just says, I can't go in these. This is ridiculous. Again, our youngest son, Simeon, when he was little, had a... I used to have a German, Second World War German helmet that my dad got me years ago. And I used to have it. And Simi used to love taking this massive big helmet and putting it on his head. And it went down to like his shoulders. And he'd try and walk around like that with it. It looked ridiculous. That's what David looks like. He just looks ridiculous in someone else's armor. And here's the lesson. Find your own voice. Don't be an echo of anybody else. You'll never take down your giant by trying to be like someone else. You've got to find your own voice. Number seven, giant killers know the higher purpose. David knew that there was more at stake than just a giant. A guy called Bob Buford said this, the real test of a man is not when he plays the role he wants for himself, but when he plays the role that destiny has for him. Here's the lesson. Some breakthroughs are bigger than you. Some breakthroughs are bigger than you. I think I've already said that this morning, so I'll leave that. Goliath is not an opposition, he's an opportunity. At this gate of opportunity, it's a spiritual gate and every spiritual gate is always guarded by a giant. And the bigger the gate, the bigger the giant. And when you take on a giant, 
it's not just about you. It's about God and it's about others around you and others that you may not even know exist. Number eight, giant killers move towards the giant. Verse 48, David ran quickly towards the battle. How many of us run away from the giant rather than to it? How many of us talk about defeating the giant rather than actually doing it? We all talk about accountability. Let me speak to the guys for a minute. We all talk about accountability, whether it is addiction or whether it is pornography or whether it is, is, is just uh, walk with Jesus. We all talk about accountability. How many of us actually run towards it? Not just talking about it, but actually do it. Actually say to people, not after we've done it and messed up, but before, I'm struggling, I'm about to mess up. Will you pray for me? I want to be honest. I want to be open. How many of us move towards the giant or how many of us run away from it? How do you run towards it? Well, if it's a character giant, get some help. Talk to someone about it. If it's a relationship giant, go talk to the person that the relationship problem is with. If it's a spiritual giant, get some prayer. You know, we have a prayer team here every Sunday morning after the service in that prayer room. They would love to pray with you, not only around physical issues of healing, but any other issues that you've got in your life that maybe some giants, maybe as God speaks to you this morning, one of your steps would be, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask someone to pray into this area. That's my way of running towards the giant. And here's the lesson. A guy called Chris Vallotton said this, you cannot conquer what you refuse to confront. You cannot conquer what you refuse to confront. And finally, giant killers take others to a higher level. I love the end of the story. Uh, what David does is he takes a stone, uh, uh, he takes five stones out of the water and he puts the stone in a sling. Uh, and da David, this isn't a kid's game. Slingshot uh, guys were part of the army. You had cavalry and infantry and you had guys that, that, that slingshot. I mean, they were trained people. They were amazing. And he was one of them. He knew how to do that. But he took the stone and he put it in, 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 in the sling and he threw the stone at Goliath and it hit Goliath right in between the eyes and it knocked him down. And then he went over and got a sword and he took the guy's head off. And the moment he did that, the Bible says that all the rest of the army suddenly got all courageous. And then they chased over the valley and they all started doing what they should have been doing weeks ago. Because when you take down a giant, it will inspire others to a higher level. So, it's time to take down your giant, even your BFG, even your big friendly giant that you've accommodated and made part of your family and made part of your story. But you know that giant shouldn't exist there because that giant is restricting you and containing you from where God wants you to go. So how do you take it down? David took five stones. So I want to give you five things this morning. Firstly, name him. You've got to name the giant. You've got to be specific. Secondly, sharpen your tools. David takes out a stone. Whatever it is that you've got in your house, whatever it is that you've got in your life, get that ready. Number three, develop a plan for taking down your giant. It don't just happen. You've got to develop a plan. Number four, train for victory. You know, I think that, that David didn't just decide that one day to pick up a sling and think, oh, I'll give this a go. He was training day in, day out with how to use that. And we train for victory by making sure that we're connected to community, making sure we're connected to Jesus, that we're praying, that we're reading the Bible, that we're doing stuff, that we're training, we're training the right muscles so that when the giant comes, we're ready. And then fifthly, take a step towards the giant, not tomorrow, but today. Run towards the giant, not tomorrow, but today. I'm going to ask the band if they could come back. And there's something that is a gift that we want to give you as you go. And on your seat as you came in was this little card, five scripture stones to defeat your giants. 
And you know that, that David took those five stones out of the water. And I think these are amazing. And as the guys start to play, I want to just read these scriptures out. Because as you go this morning, and we're finishing in a moment, as you go this morning, you will all face giants. If you're not facing them today, you will definitely face them tomorrow or sometime soon. And you can be a giant killer. Not because you're, but because you're in Christ. And you can be a giant killer because at the gate, there will always be a giant. And if we don't take down the giant, we'll never get through the gate. And where God wants us to be, the other side of it, the real thing that God wants, there's a thing in the way and that thing is called a giant. And as you go this morning, and as we go to face our giants, these are some incredible scripture stones that you can go and hang on to. And Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. With men, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God is for us. Who can be against us? Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love and a sound mind. So why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand? And I was praying about how to finish this morning and I believe God led me to to think about this stone. And you know, when David went into the river, he, he would have taken out the stones, the five stones, and then he would have taken one in his hand. And I just imagine that before he put it into the sling, he must have looked at the stone and said, okay, God, is this it? Is this the plan? I'm going to take down this giant with that little measly thing. And he must have hold on to, held on to it in his hand, at least for a moment. And maybe, maybe, I can't prove this, maybe as he held on to it, maybe he prayed and said, God, this is all I've got, but I'm putting all I've got into your hands. And I'm asking you, in the, in, you know, for your glory and for my future, God, would you direct this stone? Give us the strength and the grace to take down the giant. So he must have held on to it for a moment and he must have prayed and said, God, would you direct this stone? Would you make this effective in taking down the giant? And then he put it in the sling and then he let it go and he trusted God. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And maybe this morning you know that there is a giant or two in your life. There's a giant or two at your gate. And you know the name of the giant. You've already identified it. But today, you say, today I'm going towards the giant. I'm not running. I'm not accommodating it and making it my BFG. I'm going to take it down in Jesus' name. What I want to ask you to do is I want to, I'm going to pray for you. But in order for you to respond and know you have, I want you to, with your fist like that, just to hold your fist in the air. Imagine that you've got that stone in your hand and you're saying, Lord, I'm going to take whatever I've got and I'm going to take this giant down. So would you do that this morning? If that's you and you know you've got that, then would you just put your fist in the air so that you know that you're responding to God. And then I want to include you in this prayer right now. Father, I want to thank you for all these people here who are saying, that they don't want to be contained or restricted by these giants any longer. And Jesus, they're saying that they want to move forward into the land that you have for them. They want to go through the gate, get to the thing that you want for them. And But Lord, in order to do that, they're going to take down some giants. So Father, I want to pray for them right now, that as they've identified and named that, God, I pray that you now give them the courage to move towards their giant, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day. God, would you give them grace? Would you remind them how great and how strong and how awesome you are? And God, as we trust you as we move forward, thank you, God, that you are bigger, that you are greater, that you are stronger 
than any giant we face. And we will see these giants brought down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Lord, together we want to worship you. And we want to declare, God, that you are stronger, that you are greater, that you are stronger and mightier than anything and anybody that we could face. And so, Lord, we put our focus now not on our giants, but on our God. In Jesus' name.